0: The New Testament reading is taken from Titus, chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 9. Uh, This can be found on page 998 in the Bibles in the chairs. Titus, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Here ends the New Testament reading.
1: Let me pray for us. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we can arise as a church because our ultimate leader is not me, but Jesus Christ himself. We pray this morning, therefore, that you would unite us in him, clothe us with his armor, fill us with his spirit, and guide us by your word. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. I'd like, like you to do me a little favour, if you can, which is um, grab a Bible and look back up to uh, that reading we had earlier on from Titus, chapter one. It's on page nine eight. Uh, sorry, no, nine nine eight. If you need a little reminder. And once you've found it, I'd like you to do me another favour. Which is, I'd like you to imagine, just for a moment, that on my way across the park, I don't know how this is going to actually happen, um, making my way across the park from my house to here, but on my way to work tomorrow morning, I get run down by a bus. Now, let me reassure you, this is not something I've got planned, okay? Um, And can I apologize for what probably is the most morbid um, uh, sermon illustration uh, ever to be uh, given And perhaps possibly the most gory two, depending on how seriously you took my invitation to imagine uh, said bus-related incident. But let's just just imagine I keel over tomorrow and get to go and be with Jesus. How will the church go about replacing me as minister? What kind of person should we be looking for as a church? Well, as you will uh, hopefully have figured out uh, by now, our subject for this morning is leadership in the church. And in particular, how, leaderships are, uh, how leaders are chosen uh, in the church. And if the thought of that starts to get you drifting off to your happy place or thinking about having a quick 40 minutes um, sleep. Let me, uh, sorry, it's not going to be 40 minutes. Sorry, four, that, was, that was supposed to be 40 winks. <laughs> that is not what is planned either. Um, but if the thought of that makes you just think, I'm just going to drift off and uh, take a little bit of time to myself, let me say that this isn't just a sermon from me or Jonathan Redfern or Ben or anyone else who is uh, hoping for a career in the church. Not at all. What we're going to be covering here should apply to anyone in leadership within the church. Those leading a midweek group or leading in the children's and youth work that's happening downstairs or through the back in the presbytery here or, or happens in clubs through the week. Those leading the women's Bible study groups too. And even if you're not any of those things, don't be so quick to breathe a sigh of relief. We well, may not be leaders or even hope to be leaders at some point in the future. In fact, you might even be here in you don't even call yourself a Christian, let alone a Christian leader. But we must all choose our leaders. We must all ask whose advice is worthy of asking and taking seriously? Whose example is worthy of following? And so we all need to know what genuine, caring, trustworthy, God-ordained or God-approved leadership looks like. So we don't get taken in by false leaderships, leaders who are unapproved of by God. And that's why we've got our Bibles open, hopefully, at Titus chapter one. As we find there that the Bible isn't silent when it comes to what to do if I come uh, to a sticky end. Or oh, Chris Redfern is looking for new uh, children or youth work leaders. For in it, the Apostle Paul who verse one was appointed as a leader in the church by Jesus Christ himself. That's, after all, what an apostle is. And he, in turn, as Ben said earlier on, had appointed Titus to not only lead, but to appoint more leaders for the church on Crete. Did you see that there in verse 5? This is why I left you in Crete, writes Paul to Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the big question is, obviously, what sort of people should, be, should Titus be looking for to appoint as leaders for the church? I asked my children the other day what they thought made a good leader, and one of them said, to be brave and bold, to which one of my, to one of my other kids and I went, bold? What do you mean, Bold. Uh, Apparently it was a slip of the tongue, but it did make me wonder for a little second if I should be resigning until I kind of remembered that the hair is starting to recede a little bit, and this rich tea biscuit grows by centimeters every year, so soon I should be fully qualified for the role. But Paul tells Titus that the qualification for leadership is, um, unsurprisingly, not boldness, but instead, and here's the headline for today, leaders must be above reproach. Verse 6, if anyone is above reproach. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. See, God doesn't value what we so often value. He doesn't prioritize a dynamic personality or education or social status or even a full head of hair Nor does he even prioritize exceptional speaking or leadership or spiritual gifts in the choosing of his leaders. But rather, the most important quality leaders must have in God's eyes is to be above reproach, which doesn't mean that they are without fault. No one is perfect this side of heaven but Jesus. Instead, Being above reproach means that leaders need to check their life to see if there's any obvious, glaring areas of weakness. They must have a good reputation both in the church and outside it, against which no serious accusation can be made. There are three areas in particular that leaders need to be above reproach. Firstly, leaders must be above reproach in their private lives. Check out verse uh, Titus chapter one verse six with me, please. Paul tells Titus to look for anyone who is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. A friend, I used to work with in uh, Christi- leading Christian union groups in universities and colleges used to say that the best way to spot leaders was to see what their home life was like. So he made it part of his role uh, to go around to students' flats and check out what their relationships were like with their flatmates, and see what their kitchen was like, where there was a whole pile of dishes stacked up in the sink, and, and even, if possible, to check out their bedroom. I have to say, it slightly freaked me, this tactic. But to be honest, he was not often wrong. He really wasn't. And the Apostle Paul, actually, he would agree. As essentially he is telling Titus here that you can tell a lot about someone's leadership capabilities by what their home life or private life is like. One wife, in verse 6, simply means a one-woman man. That's the literal translation of the original language the Bible uses there. So you don't necessarily need to be married to be a leader in God's church. After all, Paul wasn't married, and neither was Jesus. Now what that means is that whether someone is married or not, what is required of of them is absolute faithfulness. They should have their love life, their sex life, completely under God's control. So those who are married should be committed to one wife for life, doing everything they can to build a strong and healthy marriage, making the necessary personal sacrifices to care for their wife and seek the flourishing of her character and her gifts. And above all, he must be faithful to her in only having sex with her. And then those who are single should see themselves as married to Christ alone. And be sexually celibate out of faithfulness to him alone. Now that might come as a bit of a shock to you if you're unfamiliar with the Bible's teaching about sex and relationships. But God is good. And his ways for us are the best for us. So if you don't know what those are, then please do come and ask us uh, later on. Um, Or do come back to church next term when we will be uh, tackling that issue more fully as we look at 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. But whether single or married, God's leaders shouldn't be known for playing it fast and loose sexually, or even for being a bit of a flirt. Neither should they allow themselves to be distracted from God's standards by wasting time and energies on the abusive fantasy world of cybersex. Because if you can't discipline yourself, to pursue God's best plan for your sex life, how are you going to be able to encourage others to discipline themselves in the church to follow God's ways? And discipline is at the heart of Paul's command to look for, verse 6 again, those whose children are believers are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now before we disqualify anybody whose children... Has been, have been from time to time disobedient there. I mean, that would thin out our leadership teams a little bit, wouldn't it? What I need to say is um, that this refers to children before they reach adulthood and leave the family home. Because while children are in the family home, under their parents' authority, how they behave is actually, generally speaking, a reflection on their parents. There are, of course, exceptions to that, but generally speaking, children's behavior is a reason to say, well, is this person gifted in leadership? Are they already practicing leadership in the home? Now, as I say, this doesn't all discount folks who are single in leadership, but it's a good principle when considering appointing those who are unmarried to check whether they proved themselves in some other nurturing or leadership position first. So if we can't look at somebody's leadership in the family, we need to ask, well, have they been able to lead a youth group, a children's group, where the kids have responded and they have in some way been obedient? Was it a riot of chaos? Or were they respected and able to exercise the discipline necessary to help the group thrive. Folks, our culture seems to think that we can drive a wedge between the private and public life of our leaders, but we all know that we can put our game face on for going out in public, but really it is at home, it's in, it's in private where people see the real us. And if the people who know you best don't have any respect for you, then how can you call on people at church to respect you? Or might I add in school or in the hospital or in the office or wherever it is that you exercise leadership in public. If you're in any leadership position in life, do not be a hypocrite and neglect to invest in your home life first and lay the foundations For leadership. Because if you're proud and overbearing at home. Then that's inevitably going to seep out. And you'll be proud and overbearing in your leadership. Or if you shirk responsibility at home. You're most likely to shirk responsibility. Whether it be in a church. Or wherever it is you lead. See what Paul is saying here is. One of the key signs of being an effective leader. Is what your home life is like. So I wonder, would those who you live with recommend you for leadership based on what they see of you at home? Well, here's the second thing Paul tells Titus to look for in leaders. Secondly, leaders must be above reproach in their character and conduct. Let's dive back into Titus 1, verse 7, where Paul says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Well, the message here is that not only can't you be trusted to manage the church if you can't manage your own home life, but you also cannot be trusted to be in in control in the church if you can't even control yourself. And the person failing to control their appetites for the vices of verse 7 pride, anger, drink, aggressiveness, or greed is not only actually going to get a bad name for God's work, but they're also going to be useless as a leader of people. Why? Well, because who wants to be led by someone who only seems to follow their own desires? answer no one we all want to be led by people who take an interest in us and inspire us they're verse eight they're hospitable they always welcome us in a way that makes us feel special and valued not just here at church but but in the way that they open their homes to us they're a lover of good too and they love to do us good even at their own expense putting our needs above their own And they're to inspire us, they're to set standards in holiness and self-discipline. Not in a way that makes us think, oh my goodness, what what dweeb. But in a way that makes us think, you know what? I wish I was more like that. And God's leaders should aim to be above reproach in their character and conduct because they have been made, verse 7, God's steward. A steward means one who manages the affairs of Another. It's a word which essentially paints a picture of a church leader as the manager of God's household. That's why at the start of this sermon I prayed, thanking God that Jesus is the leader of this church, not me. I've just been entrusted with the leadership as a steward. And so I believe that one of the greatest things a leader needs is a tremendous sense of being an unworthy servant. Any leader in the church not least an elder or overseer in the church, the overall leader, they should constantly be asking, who am I, Lord, that you should make me a steward of your people? This isn't being like being asked to be milk monitor after all. This is a calling to do God's work, to shepherd God's flock, to look after God's own people. It's an eternal work that far outweighs any other human responsibility. Therefore, we must not tarnish God's reputation in it, but inspire others to see God's goodness and grace through our character and conduct. Folks, I wonder, how precious is God's God's reputation to you? Will you live for it? and seek to model it for others. And will you teach it to others? As that's the third and final thing that Paul tells Titus to look for. As thirdly, leaders must be above reproach in their belief and teaching. As the elder or overseer, which by the way, are simply interchangeable titles that Paul uses for the same role of church leader. And they they must also, verse nine, Hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Folks, what makes for a successful church? Is it great music or really good children's and youth work? Is it being really friendly and welcoming? Is it caring for one another? Brilliant coffee. I don't know what you'd say to that. Well, I hope we've got all of those things going on for us here at St. Joseph's. But if God's word, the Bible, is not at the center of everything we do, then we're not going to hear God speak and, and we will be led astray. That's what was happening in Crete where Titus was. Look at verse 10 and 11 with me, will you? False teachers were giving a false message that was upsetting, or literally in the Greek, overturning whole families. Which is why Paul says to Titus that leaders must hold firmly to the trustworthy message of the Bible as it has been taught. Because this word to us, it's been passed down from the Lord Jesus to the apostles. And those apostles of Christ through their teaching in the New Testament, have handed it down to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, all the way down in a relay race, if you like, that sees the message or baton passed down to us in our day. I don't know if you ever watched the relay races um, on the Olympics, but if you have, then you will know just how often they mess it up and drop the baton. Um, And it seems to me... In particular, that it is um, our guys, it's the Brits. We seem to do this time and time again. What is it with us? Do we have fingers made of butter? But, folks, as Christians, we are not to drop the baton, nor are we to half around just chuck it away and choose something else or, or make adjustments to it. The Bible's message is the one baton that you start off with, given by Christ and his apostles is to be received by us and we are to pass it on to others verse 9 as it has been taught and leaders in the church must be men and women who especially hold firmly to it so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it that's the task How is it that people come to put their trust in Jesus in the first place? Well, as the gospel good news is proclaimed. If you're not a Christian, you will never know. You'll never become a Christian unless someone tells you that God loves you so, so much. He sent his son to die for you that you could be forgiven of your sins. And then Jesus rose from death to life. So we have a living Lord. And he says to us, come to me put your trust in me and unless you hear that message you will never come to Christ in the first place and unless you keep hearing that message and working out its implications for life from the rest of the bible you know will never grow into the godly life that Jesus so desperately wants for you to have so the Christian leader's chief responsibility is to encourage others by sound, which, chiefly, which means healthy or health-giving doctrine or teaching. Which is why as soon as I was ordained, the bishop handed to me a Bible. And the symbolism was hugely significant. Hold on to this. Study it. Teach it. I could fill my time, folks, with just loads of really good things but never end up teaching you the Bible. And so the good could end up the enemy of the best. But I can only lead you this morning by serving you God's word with confidence in what he has to say rather than in my own wisdom or gift of the gab. So please encourage me to do that and pray for me and Jonathan Redfern, and Ben, and others to do that. So that we will be leaders who are above reproach in our private lives, in our character and conduct, and in our belief and teaching. But let me also encourage all of you to aspire to be these things, as every Christian should. As it's my prayer that God would be making us a church that takes God's word so seriously That we put it into practice in a way that every single one of us is qualified to take a lead. Whether in the church or outside of it. I wonder what struck you from all of that as I've been speaking. Not for the last 40 minutes, I hope. Last 20 or so. I think it would be great if we just take a little moment to pray that through for ourselves. Let's have a moment of quiet to pray. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.